0: Sorry, guys, I was hoping you to pray longer. Give me a few minutes to get over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much, Debbie. I so appreciate having you here for Thanksgiving. I hope that you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I have a Thanksgiving tradition where I eat a whole pecan pie. Um, I make it and then I eat the whole thing. And I think that that's a great indicator that sometimes we don't know uh, or we don't want what's really best for ourselves, you know? Sometimes I have really unhealthy desires. Eating an entire pecan pie almost kills me every year, but I'm like, it's so good, I have to do it. I didn't do it this year, and uh, I, I really thought I'd probably die if I did it. Uh, but over the last few weeks, we've been talking about prayer. And most of us, when we think about prayer, we think about getting what we want. The only problem is sometimes, like me with a pecan pie, getting what we want isn't what's best for us. And we've been talking about, really over the last two months, how prayer is really about getting what Jesus wants, not what we want. It's not about us taking God and saying, give me what I want. It's us saying, Lord, help me to desire and ask for what Jesus would want. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. It's not a way to end your prayer. It's, It's a sign that you're gonna pray for what Jesus would want. And we've been talking about that over the last eight weeks and we're finally ending the series. So if you're like, I'm sick of hearing about prayer, Alex, It's almost over. This is the last one, and we'll start our Christmas series next week. But really, when Jesus left this world, he told his followers, I want you to teach everyone to be a student of the way that I lived and loved. And part of that is, if we're going to live and love like Jesus, we need to pray like Jesus did. And so not only do we need to become students of how Jesus lived and loved, but also of how he prayed. And so that's why we've been doing a series on prayer, learning how to pray it's kind of interesting that we don't have a lot of Jesus' prayers actually recorded in Scripture. We know that he prayed all the time It constantly talks about praying. In Luke 6.12 it says, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the entire night praying to God. In Mark 1.35 it says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. In Luke 5.16 it says, Jesus would often go to lonely places and pray. The only problem is he's going off by himself. His followers aren't around, so they're not writing down what he says. So we don't know how he prayed a lot of times. Now you say, wait a minute, Alex, what about the Lord's Prayer? Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago? The Lord's Prayer wasn't actually a prayer. We looked at that passage, and it says Jesus stopped praying, and his disciples said, would you teach us to pray? And he said, yeah, here's how you should pray. And he taught them to pray. He didn't actually pray that Prayer, And so you say, Alex, how are we going to learn to pray like Jesus if we don't have any of his prayers recorded? Well, we do have at least one of his prayers recorded. This is a prayer he prayed right before he was arrested and crucified. And it's found in John chapter 17. And I started looking at John chapter 17, and you know me, I want to always be a speaker where when I sit down, you say, wow, I wish he had talked more, instead of saying, I wish he had stopped about 30 minutes ago. And so I was like, how can I shorten down John 17? Because it's so good, I want to talk about it all, but it's really, really long. I thought, if I start reading this chapter, you guys are going to fall asleep the first couple verses in. So I thought, why don't we play a video clip? And this is a reenactment of an actor playing Jesus and all he does is pray John 17. And so I thought that might be a little bit more entertaining rather than just hearing the speak. And then after it's finished, I'll get up and talk about it a little bit. Well, it was going to be really entertaining. i so that the world will believe that you sent me. Pull out some things out of this passage. We're going to talk about some things uh, that Jesus prayed here and seeing what he prays for. Hopefully, this will inform the way that we pray in our lives. In the first five verses, what Jesus begins to ask about, what he begins to pray about, is his glory. Um, He says, You know what? I had this glory before I came into the world, and then I came into the world and I hid my glory. And I acted like a normal, ordinary, looked like a normal, ordinary human being. Um, People all the time, they ask me, so Alex, you believe that there's this invisible, all-powerful, good God. Why doesn't he show himself? I was talking to a buddy of mine down in Tennessee this week, and uh, he's like, if God is real, where is he? Why doesn't he show up? And he's like a gigantic person, and he reaches down from the sky, and he's like, hey guys, I'm God, believe in me. He's like, why doesn't he do that? Um, If God showed up, in his glory, it would kill us. Like if God showed up at his full power, all his glory, all his beauty, all his goodness, it would kill us. It talks about in the Bible, in heaven, the angels don't even look at God because he's so holy. He's so powerful. It would overwhelm us. It would blow our minds. We would literally drop dead because it's too powerful. If you remember in the Old Testament, Moses had this encounter with God and he's like, I want to see you. And God's like, it'll kill you. If you see me, it's too much for a human to take. So God not showing up in the world is so that he doesn't kill you. So that's a mercy. But God did show up. Jesus Christ came and he showed up, but he hid his glory so that it wouldn't kill us. He, He held it back so that we wouldn't be overwhelmed by it. And I think that a lot of times people complain because they're like, well, that's not how I wanted him to show up. I want him to show up in a different way to prove that he existed to me. Human nature is if God showed up in 99 different ways, we'd be like, well, why wasn't it 100? I wanted 100 ways. Once he shows up in 100 ways, then I'll believe. Instead of complaining that God showed up like Jesus, we should be thankful that he showed up at all. And when he showed up, he didn't say, hey, I've come because it's time for you to get some punishment for the way that you've really messed up in your life. No, he didn't. He showed up and said, hey, I've come to rescue and save, not to condemn and destroy. You know, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, when Jesus showed up and said, I'm God, they're like, no, you're not. You're not how we expect God to show up. You're not how we expect God to look like. And they rejected him because he wasn't the way they wanted. But we shouldn't say, God, why haven't you shown yourself? Because he has. Jesus has come. He just tells us here that he says, I did not show up in all my glory. I hid some of it so that I could work among you without it overwhelming me. And then in verses 6 through 8, Jesus begins to talk about how he's revealed who he is to the world and how some people have believed in him and some people have believed that he is God, that he's come from God, and that he's here to reveal God's good news to the world. C.S. Lewis has a famous quote where he says that Jesus Christ was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He says that what he said about himself leaves us no other options. Because sometimes you have people who say this, you know what? I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not going to follow the way that he lived and loved. I don't think he was God, but he seemed like a good guy. He seemed like a nice guy. Well, a nice guy wouldn't say the crazy things that Jesus did. Jesus was either insane. He kept saying, I'm going to die and come back to life. That's a pretty crazy thing to say, unless you're actually going to do it. Or he just lied about who he was. He kept saying, I am the father are one. I am God. And I'm here to reveal God to you. If he was just a nice guy, he's lying about who he is. And so C.S. Lewis says, really, we can't say that Jesus was a good teacher or a nice guy. We either have to say he was God or he was a liar or he was a lunatic. And what Jesus is saying here, what he's praying for is, he says, I'm praying for those who believe that I am God. That's what I've revealed and some have believed and some haven't. And then he goes on in verses 9 through 17 And he really spends an extended passage praying for the safety of those who would follow him. He says, I protected them while I was here, but now I'm going away, and I want them to be protected. One of the things he mentions is, he says, I don't want the people who follow me to be taken out of the world. He says, God, I don't want you to just take them away right now. He says, I want you to leave them in hard places, in dark places, but I want you to keep them safe and use them in those places. Jesus could have prayed that, you know, as soon as I return to heaven, everyone who believes in me just comes with me. But he didn't. He left us behind. And that's what he prayed, that we would be left behind. Jesus didn't pray that we would escape evil places and evil people. He prayed that we would be protected when we're around evil people and we're in evil places. And that in those places, he, through us, would change evil people and evil places in us, or through us, into good. Jesus wants to take us to dark places, not to destroy us, not to discourage us, but so that he might be light through us in those places. So he says, you know what, God, don't take them out of this place. Don't take them out of hard places, but change hard places through them uh, as I work through them. But let them be safe. And he prays for our protection. And then in verses 18 through 19, Jesus shifts And he begins to uh, send us and pray that we would be sent even as he is sent. In verse 18, it says, you, God, have sent me into the world, and so also I send my followers into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. It's really easy for us to gather together in places where we feel safe with other people who believe like us and look like us, and we all get together and say, yeah, go Jesus. But Jesus sent us out. Into the dark places, into the hard places, to evil people, to evil places, so that we can share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. So that we can see them transformed by the power of his message, by the invitation to know God and have a relationship with him. Jesus didn't pray for us to gather. He's like, that's going to happen naturally. I'm going to pray that you go, that you be sent. It's natural for us to gather together and celebrate what Jesus has done in us and for us, and we should do that. But he knew that that was going to be the natural tendency, and he knew that the hard thing for us to do would be to go out into dark places and to be a light there, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he says, I want them to be sent even as I was sent. Just as Jesus was sent into the world, now we as ambassadors as Jesus are sent into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces and into our schools, into our communities, into our cities, and to the nations. Jesus has sent us. And you say, wait, Jesus hasn't sent me. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a sent one. You're one of the ones that he has sent. He's strategically positioned you in the relationships you have, in the place you've are in in the community so that you can impact those people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And then in verses 20 through 23, he talks about how everything should be motivated out of love. He says the Father and the Son, Jesus and God, love each other, and they've always loved each other, and now that they love us and they compel us with their love. And he talks about how everything we do should be motivated by Now, if most of us started going around the room about what usually motivates us when it comes to church, love is probably not going to be the first word. Guilt will probably come first. I mean, most people, when they're really honest, they're like, Why did I show up at church? Well, I felt guilty if I didn't go. Or why did I show up at that activity? I was asking somebody one time. We were serving in the community, and I asked them, and they said, I really didn't want to be here today, um, but I felt guilty not coming. I've been there. Sometimes I show up at things because I feel guilty as well. But Jesus here (coughs) doesn't compel people by guilt. He compels them by love. See, guilt can produce short-term change but it never produces long-term change. You can produce some short-term change by really guilting somebody into doing something different, but it never lasts very long because they get frustrated, they get tired, and they quit. Guilt is never a good producer of life change. But love works slowly. If you show people grace and love, man, sometimes it'll seem like nothing is happening at all. But love is the only thing that produces lifelong change, not guilt. I've seen in, uh, when I was a pastor in Tennessee where sometimes I would guilt somebody into showing up for something, and I'm like, I need you to be here. You have to be here. Just get here, and they'd show up. They'd have such a bad attitude. They wouldn't be engaged. They wouldn't be passionate, but they'd be there. You know? And I'm like, I got them to do the thing, but I never produced in their heart a love for what they were doing. And you know what? After a while, they give up. They stop doing it. And in the long term, I have to find someone else to do it. But if I get someone passionate about doing it, they don't show up because they feel guilty. If they don't, they show up because they love to do it. And it produces a lifelong love for service. And Jesus says here, I want people to be so overwhelmed with how much I have loved them that I came into the world and I didn't say, hey, guess what? It's time for the balance due on all the things you've messed up on. Instead, he said, you know what? I'll pay the balance for you. And you are free and off the hook. That love compels us to serve, not guilt. And then in verses 24 through 26, uh, Jesus begins to describe here that if people have seen him, they've seen God the Father. He says, I have revealed you to the world. The world didn't know you, but they've known me. I've revealed you to the world. What is God like? He's like Jesus. How does God act like Jesus? Jesus. People all the time in the community, I'll be talking to someone and they'll say something like, I would never, ever serve a God who does this. I'm like, I I wouldn't either. That doesn't look like something Jesus would do. Or they say, I would never, ever serve a God who says this. And I'm like, I never saw Jesus say that. If, If someone's describing someone that doesn't look like or act like or sound like Jesus, they're not describing God. Maybe they're uh, describing a man-made construct that they call God, or maybe a straw man. Are you familiar with a straw man? It's where when you want to defeat someone in an argument, so you set up their argument for them, but you make it very, very weak, so you can easily topple it over and prove that you're right. That's a straw man argument. And sometimes when I talk to people in the community, they're like, I don't want to believe in God. And so I've created this angry, vicious, hateful God that looks more like the devil than he does Jesus. And so that's the God that I say I don't believe in. But in reality, Jesus says, I have revealed the Father. If someone's describing God and it doesn't look like Jesus, they're not describing God. And maybe if you've rejected God, let me ask you this, have you rejected Jesus? Have you looked at how Jesus treated people, how he loved people, the invitation that he made for all people to come and know him? I find that most people have uh, rejected an idea about God that looks nothing like Jesus. And Jesus says, I have revealed God the Father to the world. The world did not know you, but they've known me. And you sent me. I've revealed you to world. So you say, okay, Alex, we've looked quickly at this prayer that Jesus prayed. What should we do with this? What should we take away from this? What should change in our life this week? First of all, I'm going to, at the end here, give you a moment to pray a very simple prayer. And you might say, I don't believe there's a God. I don't think there's anything out there. Well, then it won't hurt to pray this because no one will hear it. But if there is someone who exists out there and they hear this, I think they'll answer it. And it's a very simple prayer. In just a minute, I'll give you a chance to pray it to yourself quietly. Jesus, reveal your true self to me. Jesus, if you're God, reveal your true self to me. Over and over again, he says in this prayer, I want to reveal God to people. I want to show people what God is like. I want them to know me and know the Father. And I think if you pray, Jesus, reveal your true self to me. Jesus is going to show you himself. He may show you himself through a conversation or through reading the Bible. He might show himself to you in some supernatural way. But I think that Jesus will reveal himself when we invite him to do so. And then number two, I want us to think about, are we good at gathering? Are we good at going? Jesus said that we were sent ones. We are ones like him, just as he was sent into the world, so he has sent us. Are our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our cities and our communities changed because we're in them? If Jesus showed up at your workplace, in your place, would it change what happened there? I, I think so. I mean, if Jesus showed up in my neighborhood or in my community or my city, Jesus wants to show up through you in those places. And he has sent us to be his hands and feet everywhere we go. And then finally, what is motivating you in life? What is motivating you in church? What is motivating you in service? What is motivating you in every aspect of your life, love or guilt? If it's guilt, that is such a frustrating way to live. It's such a disheartening way to live. And what I want to remind you of is that you are loved by God. Jesus loved you so much that he came into the world and he didn't say, I'm going to punish you for every time you've messed up. We know that we've all messed up. We've all done stupid things, self-destructive things, things that have hurt ourselves or hurt other people or hurt the world that we live in. And Jesus didn't show up and say, you know what? It's time for you to get what you do. What's due you? Instead, he died in your place and in my place, and he was crucified to pay full payment for all of our wrongdoing. But he didn't stay dead. He came back to life, proving that everything that he said was true. And that love that he has for us should motivate us to serve him and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. And so let's pray. I'm going to give you just a minute to pray. Jesus, reveal your true self to me. You might have known Jesus for years and years, but you say, Jesus, I want to know you better. You might not really know Jesus at all. Just know him by uh, by hearsay or extension. And you might say, Jesus, show me what you're like. Show me who you really are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will continually renew my mind, that you will show me what you're like and who you are, that you reveal yourself to me in new ways, that I'll better understand how you lived and loved and the invitation that you make to all of us to follow you and to live and love like you did and to impact this world with your good news. And Jesus, I pray this week that you will help us uh, to, to recognize the fact that we're set That everywhere we go, we go in the name of Jesus, with the message of Jesus, and for the purposes of your kingdom. And God, may we be faithful everywhere we walk and everyone we talk to, to impact them like you would. And Lord, finally, I pray that we will be motivated by love and not by guilt. Lord, that our hearts will be overwhelmed with the sacrifice that you made for us, not so that we feel guilty, like, oh, we owe him so much we could never pay it back, because you said we could never earn what you've freely given. You loved us before we even knew how much we owed you. Yes. And God, we pray that we will be motivated by love, that we'll show love to others, that we won't hold them accountable by guilt, but we'll, we'll exercise love and grace to them. And invite them uh, to serve a loving God just like us. And I pray all these things like I believe Jesus would pray.